If you're a note taker, this morning I'm just calling this sermon, It's in Your Hand. Everybody say, It's in Your Hand. It's interesting, and I'm just going to come out of the chute uh, a little strong because I only have so much time, and I have an entire chapter of Ephesians to cover. Um, I've never been tasked with preaching an entire chapter in one sermon before. Uh, There's like four different sermons in here, and I know because I googled sermons on Ephesians 1 to see what other preachers have done, and nobody tried to cover the whole chapter in one sermon. But uh, even John Piper, who, if you don't know who John Piper is, YouTube him. He's an amazing preacher of the gospel. But even John Piper broke this sucker up. Um, But we're just going to dig in today, and the the title of this is, It's in Your Hand. So many times we plead and we pray and, and we get on our knees and we beg God to do things in our lives that he's already empowered you to do. He's already empowered you to do. The, the, the Bible says that you are the hope of glory. And we're asking God to open up the gates of heaven and to pour His glory down to, to move and to, and to transform our lives and to, and to move on our behalfs. And, and the, the dumb thing about it, you know, when we talk about kids who aren't great at following instructions like mine sometimes aren't, and I wasn't. I was the worst. But we, look, we, we, we want to talk about that. We're literally asking the Holy Spirit for God to do something that he's already done. And he's empowered you and I to be the hope of glory. He's empowered you and I. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start just in verse 3. I'm going to get past Paul's little introduction because I ain't got time to even worry about that. Starting in verse 3, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So often, especially this chapter, Pastor Ebony and I were talking about this this morning, and she asked me if I'd had the chapter memorized yet with as much as I've been reading it this week, and I'm awful at memorizing stuff. But I mean, if you just blow through Scripture, you're going to miss so much. And I want you to just take a look out of all of these beautiful words, all of this beautiful writing that the Apostle Paul gives us. It's words like has. That is what gives this Scripture power. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. You've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing that Christ has to offer you. You've already been given. Christ, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit now, but Christ at the point that he was ascending back to the Father says, all authority in heaven and earth, all of it, there's not one bit of authority that God held back from Jesus. And he said, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Jesus handed authority. It's a baton. He handed authority over to you and I. Has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I had Psalm 139 prophesied over my life a few years ago that says you knew me in my mother's womb. You you, you knitted together my inward parts. And when that scripture was prophesied over me, if you only knew the backstory, if you only knew the history of when I was put in my mother's womb, if if, if you knew that my parents weren't even together at that point, that they had already separated, that it was a fun party 
that, that brought them back together. And God put JR into existence. Man, when you look at Scripture and, and God has a, a plan for you that God, that God shows you in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. And so again, the relationship between children and parents According to the good pleasure of his will, you can ask God why, and his answer is, because I wanted to. And when God tells you to do something, the answer most often is, because I said so. It was according to the good pleasure of his will that all of this happened to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved you were created through God's pleasure because he wanted to. Because one day God said to himself in the Godhead, you know what would be fun? It was through his pleasure and you were created for his pleasure. And we were, we were created, it says, for the praise of the glory of his grace. We were created to be worshipers. You were designed to be a worshiper, to lift up praise. That's what you were designed. It's why we're, we're referred to in some scriptures as instruments. You were designed to give praise. So this idea that, well, I'm just not really into worship. Like, that's a lie from the enemy. Because you are a worshiper. Uh, there's, a, there's a pastor in, in California uh, Bill Johnson, he says, everybody worships. This is straight out of the scripture. You were designed. It's in your wiring. You can't get away from how you were designed. Right? Macintosh can't just have an epiphany and say, you know what? I think I'd rather be Apple because Apple's superior. It, you don't get to change your design. You were designed. You were wired to be a worshiper. So everybody worships. Everybody gets their praise on. Rather or not, God is what you exalt with your life is up to you. Some of you exalt dollar bills. Some of you get your praise on for the, for the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl, but coming into corporate worship in the church just doesn't stir you. Everybody worships. Everybody gets their praise on. The question is, what is it that you're giving your praise to? What is it that you're choosing with the design that God has, has given you? What is it that you're choosing to worship? Because we were designed to. We were set apart to. We were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to be worshipers. We look at the church a lot today, and, and the, the, the thing that breaks the heart of the Father is that our praise is misguided. We offer praise to worldly things. Jesus literally said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But we give our praise and we give our worship to earthly things. And let me tell you, when you give your praise to earthly things, you will live stressed out and you will fight depression. Because earthly things cannot fill that void. 
Earthly things are not the target of that praise. And I'm going to get to this. This scripture, when you first get into it, makes God look like an egotistical maniac. That he designed us to sing praises to him. You know, I have, I have children that my wife and I birthed. Well, she birthed. I helped make them. Just, I understand how it works, just so we're clear. But I have, I have two kids. And if these two kids, if, if my instruction for their lives were to sing my praises, you would think that I'm some kind of a tyrant, warlord, dictator father. What kind of an egomaniac requires people, requires his children to sing his praises? Not for a good part of my life. I have been a tyrant, warlord, dictator husband, dad. Just so we're, you know, completely transparent. But you would think I was crazy. God designed you for the purpose of offering him praise. He designed you for the purpose of being a worshiper. But read this. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we're going to go on to continue even more of what God pours out to you, has poured out to you through Christ Jesus. God designed you to be a worshiper, not because he has a, an ego issue, not because he is insecure in himself. He's God, people. But he created you to be a worshiper because of the way that the system is designed. And again, you can't change the system. The way the system is designed is when you offer up praise, blessing flows. When you offer up praise, anointing flows. When you lay your life down in submission to his will, he raises you up. It's the way the system works. It's not for God's benefit that he designed you to be a worshiper. It's for yours. But yet we want to offer our praise to sports teams. We want to offer our praise to the almighty dollar. We want to offer our praise to our kids' extracurricular activities. And then we wonder why stress and anxiety and depression rule our land. Because you're putting your praise into something that does nothing for you. When's the last time the Kansas City Chiefs showed up at your house with any kind of gift? But you better believe me, baby, you're lining their pockets. I just went to Walmart yesterday. Not even a certified shirt, right? This is a Walmart knockoff jersey with Patrick Mahomes' name on it, $45. Are you kidding me? Who goes to Walmart? Somebody say I bought it. <laughs> Not going to ask the next question. That guy. $45. I just want, listen, I'm working on transforming my garage into a man cave kind of thing. Like I built this, this super dope uh, workbench, like the cool awesome, huge, oversized connections desk that we took out to make more room for the church to be in the lobby. Like, that went to my garage. We didn't have anything else to do with it. Pastor Sean was like, we can just tear it down and throw it away. And I was like, mm-mm. That's my new workbench. I got the fanciest workbench any garage has ever seen. 
right? And I got my freezer out there, and I got cool stuff hanging on the walls, and I'm trying to man cave my garage a little bit. So I go back in Walmart to look at just like some Chiefs flags, 20 bucks for something that I, like you literally just hang it on a wall, $20. Why? Because people worship it. People worship it. Pastor Abby and I were having a conversation about cell phones and how we refuse to let our kids have cell phones until they reach a certain age. And we got into this conversation about how it's literally one of those things that we have to, like, we have to war against in our, in our homes with our kids. My daughter's a, a fourth grader, and, and, she, and she wants a phone. It's what she asks for. Every time a birthday comes around or Christmas comes around, she throws it back out there, and I slap it back down. She wants a phone. Why? Because all of her friends have phones. They're fourth graders. Do you know what you do after school? You get on the bus and you come home. But everybody has one. And it's so funny because we got into this and we are talking about like how expensive phone plans are. And we literally live in a society where people will throw away money to give their fourth graders a cell phone, but then can't pay their water bill. Why? Because you worship something. You worship something that is not paying any dividends back into your life. Listen, you want to worship God, you want to throw some money in an offering plate, I'm here to tell you that God makes good on a promise. In Malachi where it says, test me and see. Put that tenth in the offering plate of the storehouse is what the, the King James Bible, I believe, says. It refers to the church as a storehouse because they didn't have modern-day churches yet. It was literally a storehouse. Put that tenth in, and God says, watch, test me and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. You know what comes out of the floodgates of heaven? Good stuff. Blessing comes out of the floodgates. Anointing comes out of the floodgates. The presence of God comes down out of the floodgates. Only good stuff comes out. Why? Because when you worship God, he pours dividends back into your life. Nothing else does. Chiefs, they don't pour anything into your life. The royals pours nothing into your life. Your job, you bring home a paycheck, but you want to chase that dollar. I don't know how many times I've said this to young men in my time as a pastor, but you want to chase that dollar. They're not going to pay you more and more and more money unless they expect something more from you. Your job doesn't pay dividends into your life. They're compensating you for you being their slave. Now, we all have to have jobs because we have to put food on the table. I'm not saying go quit your job and let's just go running through neighborhoods telling people about Jesus together. But so many, so many people, and I've been there, even, even as a pastor, I have worshipped my job. I have worshipped my title as a pastor over the God that I'm called to pastor. It's ridiculous. Everybody worships, but we live in this world where our, our worship and our praise is misguided. Being made righteous and, and having your sins forgiven, back to our scripture, having your sins forgiven, we look so often in the church, not this church, this church has got something extraordinary. Pastor Sean says this on a regular basis, not to be funny because we're serious. We literally sit around in staff meetings and we're like, why are people still coming? Like that was one of the most brutal sermons. Like I wanted to get up and leave and I'm on staff here. Why? Because it's truth. 
Truth is why the room's full. Truth is why 12 people are getting baptized into Christ Jesus today. But in our society, we preach a gospel that makes putting your faith in Christ as your Lord and entering into baptism water that that you have reached your spiritual destination. That is one of the biggest lies that the enemy can get the church to believe, that this is your destination. Even my son understands that all that this is is just a nice spiritual bath to show what's taking place. And when he comes up, that he's made new. You're going to make something new and then be done with it. You put it on a shelf. You know, people who restore cars and then park them in garages, and I know some of you do. Some of you have lots of cool restored cars. But you don't just put them in a garage. You call your pastor friend, you invite him over, and we go joyride in that baby. <laughs> right? I'm prophesying right now, Rick. It's going to happen. I don't want to ride in the drag race car. I did that once. Your insides move. It's creepy. You don't restore something and then put it away in a garage. I have a, I have a 1971 Buick Skylark that sits in my garage. It's not my car. It's Curtis Schaefer's car. He just utilizes my garage. I get to walk out every day and look at a beautiful car that's not mine. It's awesome. But he gets that, when the weather's nice, it's got a nice cover over it right now. He tucked it in for the winter. But when the weather's nice, he gets that sucker out. He drives it. Takes his wife out on dates. When we have little friend get-togethers, we all take turns going on a ride in Curtis's car. Because when you have something that's been restored, it's ready to be utilized. It's given new purpose. This isn't a destination. This is a launching point. We've got to come to some agreement. And you can say, that's right. I'm I'm glad you agree with me. But do you live like that? Do you live in that understanding that this is a launching point for you to go into the world? And make it literally, when when, when this started, when, when Peter told the group of Jews whose parents crucified Jesus, when they asked, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent of your sins and then go and be baptized. What he was telling them was, get ready for everything you've ever known to turn their back on you. It's a launching point into a completely new life. For for so many, even in today's world, they don't live in the spoiled Western American society that we live in. And so many, this is the ending point of life as you've known it. And it is a launching point into new life. This is now their family because mom and dad won't associate with them anymore. They've been stamped. I have a hat that has a that has a Arabic symbol on it that's an N. In Arabic it's noon is the is the name of that letter. And what happens in the Middle East when a, when a person professes their faith in Christ as their savior and they're baptized as they're stamped with that letter, meaning they literally will spray paint it on the front of your house. They'll spray paint it on your business. And that means that this person has decided to follow the Nazarene. So they're shunned. And if you get that letter stamped on your home, a message comes with it that is convert back to Islam 
run or die. Those are your options. That's a launching point into new life. It's a launching point into authority. Go to verse 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will. So many times people want to, you know, they come and they're like, I, I, I just read this book. I read, I read my Bible, but I don't, I don't get anything out of it. If you sit down and you open the pages of this book and you read it uh, in the same way that you read Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or any other novel. I know I, I'm not a reader, so I don't even know what popular novels are right now. Like, this is the book I read. And I don't even read this book as, as often as I want to because I hate reading. But if you read this book through the same eyes that you read any other book with, you're going to get nothing from it because it's the Holy Spirit, it says, that makes known to us the mystery of his will, according, again, to his good pleasure, because he wants to. Why can you not read this book at face value and not have on a Holy Spirit lens and take anything away from it? Because God doesn't want you to, because he wants intimacy with you. It's not a, it's not a textbook. We're not studying, and this, this is what I did. I went to Bible college. I have a library of books that I read part of. My wife, when we were dating, she would come out to Kansas City and visit me for a weekend when I was still in Bible college, and we'd be hanging out. We'd be sitting at a coffee shop, and I would literally open the beginning of the book, read about a chapter and a half. Remember this? Go to the middle of the book, make sure I still understood what was going on, I'd go to the end of the book, I'd read the last chapter or so, and then I'd write a paper, and I'd get an A. And she would get so mad, because her textbooks were like this. I mean, she went to nursing school. And she would get so mad. And she'd say, I don't understand how you can literally not read a book, write a paper on it, and get an A. It's not a textbook. It's not something you can just skim read. Do you know how much I remember from any of those books that I read part of so I could write a paper so I could get a grade. I don't remember any of it. I still open some boxes sometimes because we've lived in our house for six and a half years, somewhere around there, and there's still some boxes under our stairs that I've never actually unpacked. I was just under there putting some Christmas stuff away. I opened up some boxes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I forgot these books. I got books I don't even remember I had. A good portion of my library I never read at all. Those were the papers I didn't do so good on. <laughs> it's not a textbook. You have to have a Holy Spirit lens over your eyes to read this book and it come to life. He reveals the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, listen to this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, means that this word is transcendent. From generation to generation, decade to decade, century to century. 
the Holy Spirit will draw together in one all things that are in Christ. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, more good stuff, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. All of this given, all of this poured out, all of this understanding, all of this mystery revealed. Why? So you can praise His glory. It's given to you so that you can praise His glory. We're brought into Christ Jesus for the praise of His glory. So why don't we give Him praise? On a right now, go. Yeah! Even that, like, I'm just going for a jugular today. Pastor Sean's gone for six weeks. Even that, after the Chiefs got that touchdown, that none of us really knew if it was a touchdown. But then when they got that next one, Y'all remember that next one? Y'all remember losing your mind? Remember that migraine that I had after J.D. and I got done screaming at the TV? Why don't we offer up that kind of praise? Why, why, Why don't we walk daily lives with that in our hearts? I've been waiting for this my whole life. Everybody kept saying to me, I haven't been waiting my whole life, all right? I'm from St. Louis. We, we converted. We converted into the Chiefs kingdom, all right? I just bought my first Chiefs shirt after they won the Super Bowl. I'm that guy. I've been waiting. I didn't buy it at Walmart. I won't tell you how much I paid for my Chiefs hat because that would be contradicting to what I said earlier. <laughs> but listen, we don't all, I've waited my whole life for this. Like, listen, listen, a sports team, a sports team, this isn't going to be popular. I get it. I don't care. A sports team, it literally, literally is entertainment. A sports team. Granted, they had to wait 50 years. Wins their second Super Bowl. People cried. People cried. We are so motivated and so driven by something that does nothing for you. Nothing. I yelled. I screamed. I got excited. I had a migraine. I yelled so loud. It was exciting. I'm not saying we shouldn't be excited about it. But if you can compare that to the excitement that stirs in your spirit over the things of Christ, we have some stuff backwards, church. We got some stuff backwards. This gathering on Sunday morning, I've referred to before, God gave me this word, is supposed to be a pep rally so that we can get psyched and encourage each other and and, and edify one another and then go out and be the church during your week. But Pastor Sean has to ask to get some amens during a good sermon. 
He's got to ask for them. Now, I'm preaching to myself right now, too, because I sit right there. And I don't, off, I don't get that excited either. What is wrong with the church? Do we not understand what we've been given through Christ? Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals the mysteries of his will for our lives, for the praise of his glory. So let's do it again. Let's give him some praise. That was better. That was better. My head started hurting a little bit. Oh, man, when we join our praise to Christ, we align ourselves with a movement that's taking place on earth and in heaven. Jesus didn't come, and we, we, we kind of, Pastor Sean kind of tore this apart a few weeks ago in a sermon. Jesus didn't come to be your personal Savior. Now, that's funny because on the forms that we had people fill out, it's been a few years since we put those forms out, and it literally says, tell us about when you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. And I was just reading him last week downstairs going, I guess we're going to be updating this. God's flipped our theology upside down over the last few years. As a church, for me as a, as, as a, as a believer, as a husband, as a dad, the way I lead my home, we've been transformed and so, yeah, a lot of thinking on how we used to think isn't how we think anymore. And my goal today is the way that you used to think 30 minutes ago when you came in here won't be how you think when you leave. If that doesn't take place, then I'm a horrible preacher, and in three weeks we'll get somebody else to preach. That's my goal today, is do you understand what you've been given? That Christ joins us together. He aligns a movement that's taking place. This is what the scripture says. That he aligns a movement that's taking place on earth and in heaven. The purpose of Christ was to reunite the bride because sin broke it. To reunite. Do you understand that the scripture says that heaven, all of the angels in heaven await your praise? We got this backwards thinking, this backwards thinking that when I lift up my voice that I get to join this angelic choir. Now, they're not, they're not waiting for you to start. They're having a praise party in heaven. That's, that's, that, that, that's all it is. That's the fullness of it. Interesting. That's what we were designed to be. But that heaven awaits your praise, that they're, that they're jealous for it. The angels are hungry for it. Why? Because you have precedence. Your praise has precedence over the angels. And Jesus came to align and, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to restore all of heaven and earth's praise back to God. Can you see the magnitude of this reality? i got to hurry up. I'm going to read this last part real fast. 17 through 23 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Hello, saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which 
He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What's promised to you in this scripture? A spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge, eyes of your understanding being enlightened. This isn't, this isn't just weaponry. We look at life so often in, 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 the, in the spiritual matters as just spiritual warfare. Like all we need is a sword so we can combat the enemy in our lives. I'm going to let you know that half of well over half of what you need to worry about, don't worry, just don't get me caught up in my words, what you're going to need to deal with in your life, well less than half is spiritual warfare where the enemy comes against you. Most of what you have to deal with in your own life is your own stupidness. It's your own ignorance. It's your own stupid choices that you have to deal with. This isn't about getting a sword. This is about being enlightened. This is about being raised up, receiving a spirit of wisdom, receiving revelation through the Holy Spirit, having an impouring of knowledge, having your eyes of understanding opened. And we don't receive these promises by, I mean, the Holy Spirit's not a thumb drive. It's not just miraculously downloaded into your spirit at the moment in which you surrender your life to Christ. And it's not even given to you in the moment that you come out of baptism waters. This is a launching point for you to then go pursue and to chase after the things of Christ so that you can be given wisdom, so that you can grow in knowledge, so that you can sit under new and new revelation from the Holy Spirit, so that you can be strengthened in the things of Christ. I quoted this scripture earlier. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's the Great Commission. Jesus took all of the authority, all of the things given to him from the Father on earth and in heaven, and like a baton being passed down, he gave it to his bride and said, Go therefore. Go therefore. God didn't give Jesus all of the authority for Jesus to hold it. Jesus took it so he could give it to you. And he didn't give it to you to do nothing with it. But where do you pour your investment? What do you give your praise to? What do you devote your life to worshiping? Some of you guys need to realize that your children are never going to learn from you how to pursue the Father while your worship is wrapped around them. Think about that for a second. We worship our kids, but then want to be a good example for our kids on how we're to worship God. Go therefore. All right. I have this toolbox. Please don't fall over a table. In this toolbox 
are some of my tools, which means there's not really very many tools in this toolbox. But I have a few. I got, I got some hammers in here. I don't know where this one came from. I probably borrowed it from somebody. This is John Brownson's measuring tape. In this toolbox, I have tools. This cool little thing, this is what I use to restring my guitar, but it goes in the toolbox. We have, right? In this toolbox, I have all these tools. And some of you have much better understanding. We have Pastor Tim's in the room, and we have Jason's in the room, and we have JD's in the room. We have Brian Woolrey's in the room. There's a lot of you in here who have much better understanding on how to use these tools than I do. I have what a lot of my friends refer to as pastor hands. They're very soft. They're very sweaty right now. I have very soft pastor guitar player hands. Now, Brian would argue with me that guitar player hands don't have to look like pastor hands because he has working man hands and plays guitar and can skunk me any day of the week. So in this toolbox are tools that there are other men and plenty of women who know how to use the tools in this toolbox better than I do. If I took my toolbox of tools that I have accumulated, some that were given to me, this toolbox was given to me when I was uh, eighth or ninth grade. My dad gave me this toolbox. At the point that I got the toolbox, it had no tools with it, so I thought it was a really stupid present empty toolbox, but surprising how many of us live with spiritual empty toolboxes. I thought it was a, a, a really dumb present, but over the years I've come to like it. Over the years it's taken a few beatings. It's got some dents in it. Over the years I've brought it up to church, so I had to write my name on it because people kept stealing my tools, even though this is full of borrowed tools. <laughs> right? Here's, here's the thing. If I took this toolbox and I went to go try to build a house. <laughs> I don't know. No, I tell people, I'm a great gopher. I can go on just about any job and help with about any project. One time I told a guy that I knew how to sheetrock. That was one of the most jerk things you could do. He made me sheetrock and then laughed at me when he saw how horrible I was at it. Apparently, you don't take two cut sides and butt them together. That's a no-no. Right? But as soon as I said, I'm pretty good at sheetrocking, three construction guys are like, okay. <laughs> you come to me and tell me you're a good guitarist, and then show me your little dinky Walmart guitar, I'm going to be like, okay. <laughs> it's great. Jesus loves it. It's a joyful noise. <laughs> Don't have to be, doesn't have to be a pretty noise, right? If I go to build a house, which one of the three little pigs do you think I'm going to be? That third, that third little pig didn't just have better tools. He had some know-how. Somebody taught him how to get some, is it called mortar that you put bricks together with? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody taught him how to do some work with some bricks and get things done. Somebody taught him how to build a house. And we live in this world today Where too often we talk about Jesus coming to align things together. 
to align the kingdom of God together. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved. And he's given us this book, and he's given us all of these blessings. And he's given you every tool that you need. You hold it in your hand. In Exodus, it'll be up there. I'm not going to read it because I'm out of time. In Exodus, God gave Moses some instruction. And Moses gave God every excuse he could come up with. What's up, kids? He gave God every excuse he could come up with on why he wasn't equipped to do what God told him to do. And God asked him this question, Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Why did God ask that question? Because Moses already had what he needed. You've been given every spiritual blessing under heaven. It is already in your hand. You have every tool that you need to do the work that the Holy Spirit has for you to do. It's not about do you have the tools. It's about do you know how to use them. Amen? You don't want me to come into your house with a hammer and start doing work. Unless I got somebody else there that can tell me what to hit, where to hit it. Because I don't know. I'm not a construction guy. It's not what I do. But in the church, and in our, in our society, we've completely lost the significance and the importance where you have this beautiful relationship between Paul and Timothy. And Paul tells Timothy two things that could contradict themselves if you don't actually understand the fullness of his word. Because Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. Just because you're young, kids, doesn't mean that God's not going to use you to do awesome things for his kingdom. You can impact people's lives. But I'm not going to give a single one of you a hammer and just turn around and let you go to work with it. Why? Because you need to be taught how to use a hammer. So at the same time that Paul says, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth, he also says, study to show yourself proved. In our church today, though, we come out of this launching point, and the Holy Spirit begins to give us some, some you know, I'll just say beginner's revelation. We begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and woo! Man, that sounds good. Man, I love it. The first time people call me and they're like, I heard them! I heard them! Can I talk, can I talk about you? It's my sister. God told me two years ago that he was going to bring revival to my family. And we put the funk in dysfunctional. You know, you, know, you, you all can't even, you, could, I, you would get confused if I just tried to explain to you all of the different branches of my family tree. It's all kinds of weird. But he told me I'm going to bring revival to your family. And I got so excited. And I was worshiping. I was laying on my face. And I literally opened my eyes and I could see a puddle of tears on the floor where I'd been laying and crying. And the Holy Spirit said, but I'm going to use you to do it. And my sister, a little over a year ago, around Christmas time, came to realization 
of what God wanted from her. You know, we again, we don't say pretty prayers and ask, like, this whole, like, ask Jesus to come into your heart thing. Like, Jesus has a much better place. He's very satisfied with his seat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus doesn't come into your heart. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But we've come up with all kinds of cutesy, pretty ways of trying to explain the gospel to make it easy. And a little over a year ago, my sister realized it's not easy. That there's submission required. That you have to lay your life down so that you can be brought to new life in Jesus Christ. The old self gets to die, my son said, so I can be made new. And she understood that. And over the course of the last year, it's been a rocky road. Lots of phone calls of I don't know what I'm doing. Lots of text message of I just feel like my life's a mess. It's so hard. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was getting into. And I can sit on my end of the phone, and sometimes I'm like, <laughs> I love you. Sorry about you. And we were ha- having a phone call a few weeks ago. We've never talked on the phone for an hour. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit and what he's revealing to us. And she begins to share with me about the first time that she was walking through a parking lot and the Holy Spirit began to speak to her. And how she began to laugh and then cry uncontrollably, sometimes simultaneously. I'm like, I know, it's so weird. It's a mystery. It's not supposed to make sense. If it made sense, we could explain it away. That's the issue with the church today is we try to explain it away. But at the point that she could hear, man, it's exciting. Oh, I was working in here, rolling up cables and just like jumping up and down, having a praise party, trying to contain myself. But if at that point my sister was like, hey, I feel called to ministry. I'm going to go move to West Africa, and I'm going to start a new mission work. I would be like, no! Don't do that! Yes, follow the leading of the Lord, and if God's calling you into missions and he's given you a vision, he has a purpose for you. But listen to me. Do not allow. This has been burning on my heart for the last two years. Do not allow your passion to pour into other people to forsake the Holy Spirit pouring into you. Discipleship is a requirement. This is a launching point. Discipleship is a requirement. 